Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice for chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label, and for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. Like on a deeper level, the other thing that I've been reconciling is just like kind of the service role as a black woman and the importance of, you know, charging and putting value on, on my work and expecting to be, you know, compensated fairly. This is Taste. I'm your host, Eliza Barbanel. Not all cake is created equal, and Janae Kaikai is always raising her game. The baker and owner of Pella Kitchen, a Brooklyn-based microbakery offering up cakes crowned with flowers and filled with flavors of the African diaspora, makes some of my favorite sweets in the city. It's a joy to have her on the podcast to talk about evolving her business from a side project to main gig, the booming food scene in Accra, pop-up solidarity, and more. Jenna, this is Taste. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm and, happy and I mean to have that. you here and talk about cake, which is like my favorite topic to talk about on the podcast. I have not tired um, of talking about cake yet, so <laughs> I think we're good. Yeah. What was the last cake that you had? That I made? Or just that you ate? So for the spring, I've been making a lot of lemon butter cake. Uh-huh. Um, and so I've been eating a lot of lemon butter cake scraps. <laughs> which is just like the, you know, to level off the cake, you tend to like cut off the top or just the edges. And so that's what I've been, I've been eating a lot of that, a lot of like lemon butter cake lately. Do you just snack on the scraps straight up or do you do something with them? I'm, it's a whole situation. So I take like a little deli container and I kind of tend to like layer the cake scrap and like a little extra like, you know, remnant of cake frosting and make a little like trifle situation. Like a parfait. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cake parfait. I love that. I feel like you could add some fruit and then you have that for breakfast. You're ready to go. A cup of cake scraps a day. A cup of cake scraps a day. (laughs) (laughs) I want to start off with hearing a little bit about your travel because I know that you've been kind of spending your time back and forth between New York City and West Africa lately. Uh, Where were you recently and what were you eating? So I, I spent about six weeks in Ghana and Sierra Leone um, at the end of the year, leading into the top of this year. Um, but I also just recently went to Ghana and got back like three weeks ago. I went to Accra. Yeah. And I was there for two weeks. And I've heard like the best things about Accra. What's the food scene like there? Accra. Yeah, it's really it's really lovely because I think you have this like you can get really, really, really great just like Ghanaian local food, street food everywhere. Um, Like one of my favorite meals that I've had, and I probably had it like twice the last time. There's these like Rastafarian guys who make these like Chinese noodles, what they call Chinese noodles, which really is like lo mein, Um, but it's like really spicy and um, you can get it with like beef or they have like an assortment, which you can get all, you know, chicken and beef and all these things. So I really do like the street food for sure. Um, But then there's also a lot of really, really cool, like 
contemporary, modern, Afro-fusion. And, and those names are kind of corny sometimes, but like it actually is really, really cool because you have folks who are opening these almost like fine dining restaurants with like African, West African concepts um, that are like, you know, played with, if you will. So like I went to a restaurant recently that had so so wagashi is a type of cheese that comes from like the north so mm-hmm. kind of like a fresh milk cheese i think it reminds me almost like if like halloumi had a baby with what's another like fresh milk cheese um mm, like a feta cheese or is it squeaky it's not sque- it's not squeaky but it's like it's almost it's a little bit more salt it's kind of solid Cool. What would you? Anyway, anyway, it was deep fried and covered in fonio. And fonio is like this West African super grain. Um, people tend to compare it to quinoa a lot. And so it was like the fonio was like the breading. And so it was this like crispy, melty. Then they had like local honey drizzled on top. It was so good. Oh, when it you started so describing good. this, I was hoping you were going to say there was honey on oh, top. Oh, oh. And then like, and then let's just get into it. Like, Tell me, yeah. Local honey. So I. And TSA, please don't, you know, find me for this. But I really love bringing, like, honey and some of those elements back. And so I really, really have been loving using local Ghanaian honey because it's very, it's very rich. It's very, like, dark, almost has, like, a caramelly note to it. And so, yeah, imagine that drizzled over some hot fried cheese. Amazing. Mm. Yeah, you had me at fried cheese <laughs> and then the honey on top of it is next level. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you baking with the honey you brought back or you're just saving that for yourself? No, I've been I've been baking with it. I mean, I don't have a ton. Um, on, if you've seen my Instagram, I've posted it. I I bring them back in like these water, like literally water bottles. Um, totally normal, not sketchy, <laughs> not sketchy at all. <laughs> um, so I've been using it in um, everything from just like drizzling it on my like granola. Um, I make my own granola, so I've been putting it in the granola. Mm-hmm. I also have um, so I make sticky buns and the kind of like goo that I that I make has a lot of honey in it and so I made them recently with that honey and it was out of this world so that sounds so good yeah when you're in Accra are you eating baked goods and dessert at all I am not so I mean I think that kind of speaks to like why I'm really really inspired to like do this in terms of bringing some of my baked goods to West Africa I will say dessert in any African country I've been in has been trash <laughs> like just very I'm sorry it's just I think what it is I mean and obviously now having baked in um in Ghana especially um there's an issue with just like sourcing ingredients and so I found that a lot of things that I had on like sweets that I had were just like one note just like very sweet or very dry or you know because I think that there's a there's a perception that you know like I grew up with the perception like Africans don't like sweets right um mm. you know we don't like sweets not too sweet, not too sweet, whatever. But then, so I think because of that, people tend to like aesthetically like have a really nice looking cake or, you know, an interesting cake, but then it just tends to have like chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, and just not be great. Um, So I did get the chance to actually bake there. And um, I brought a bunch of ingredients, uh, mostly like my spices and things, but I was like, oh, I'll just get butter and oil and things there. And it was so expensive. I was sharing on my Instagram stories that a liter of cream was $17. That's and, crazy. Right. And I and I get it. Like if you're if the folks there aren't, you know, having a bunch of heavy cream, like it's gonna be imported. It's gonna and that's like the big issue um there. And I'm sure we'll get into it more, but just around um 
just imports and the reliance on imports and like what that means in terms of what's available. So to answer your question, yes, I did have desserts. Did I enjoy them? Not so much. Um, I actually connected with a food blogger there and we haven't had the chance to meet in real life yet, but one of our things will be kind of doing this like tour of maybe like five places to actually get good dessert. Because I've had like some of those restaurants that I mentioned, some of them will have like an interesting dessert. But in terms of just like, oh, I really want a cupcake. I really want like, no. So when you're baking, when you were in Accra, what was the occasion and what was the reception like? Yeah, so... um, I was baking for a couple different things. So there was an event that I did with um, a woman who has a brand that's actually based between here and L.A. um, called Sip and Slay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's specifically around like women's empowerment and entrepreneurship. And so they had a you know, pretty big event last December, and I had cakes available there. And then I also did an event with the Ghana Food Movement, um, which I've mentioned a ton. They're like a collective of folks who support the food industry, both in terms of supporting the agricultural side and that imports, um, export kind of challenge that the country is having, but then also supporting like chefs. And so they had um, hosted some folks for a, a lunch, and then they invited me to do dessert. So I made a couple cakes. Um, And it was wonderful, but like, I will do some baking again next time I go, um, hopefully, but I will be bringing a lot. I'll be like shipping a lot of things because it was really challenging. I mean, one of the biggest challenges I had was just even where to bake. You know, Mm -hmm. I think here um, I can find a commercial kitchen. I can rent someone's kitchen, um, like a business, uh, you know, another business owner's kitchen. But there is there like finding a commissary kitchen there is really hard. And then when I would find maybe a restaurant or something that would be willing to let me um, bake out of their space, it was like an oven from like 1904. Like (laughs) no temperature, just like two flames, three flames. (laughs) No temperature, just vibes. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So that was tough. Um, But thankfully, I did end up meeting um, a woman who owns her own cocoa company. And she had um, like an up-to-date kitchen. So I actually baked everything out of her, like in her home. (laughs) <laughs> wow. You were yeah. telling me about this cocoa company, but I didn't know that you got to bake out of the kitchen. Now I get even more why you're such a fan. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I would say one of the biggest gifts in just going, you know, going back and forth over the last year and a half has just been the relationships um, that I've made and that I continue to build. And so, um, yeah, the there I was baking literally with her children. And <laughs> I mean, this is someone that I met from just like reaching out to on Instagram. So again, like the community is just like everything. The community is everything. And the cocoa also seems like it's special. What about it from like a flavor perspective or a baking perspective is interesting to you? Well, it's one of the, like, you open, you open the bag and you just get the aroma. Like, it's so deeply chocolate. And then, you know, the other thing that I found interesting is that people would also just, like, mix it into hot water and just, like, you know, drink it. And I like think without sugar, without else. without sugar, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, typically here we see like drinking chocolate or baking chocolate. And so that kind of speaks to the quality of it that, like, you can just mix it into some hot water and it's very, like, rich. I really loved baking with products that were from Accra. So like with the chocolate cake that I made for one of the events, I used coconut oil that was like 
you know, unrefined coconut oil from the market. <laughs> Similar with just about everything. Because um, chocolate cake was, I think, probably the most forgiving in terms of not having all of the my normal ingredients versus, you know, I made um, my cardamom spiced carrot cake, which was like lovely. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was tough. <laughs> it was tough finding everything from just like the, like the sugar, the granulated sugar. It's so, it's so coarse. Yeah. Um, or like brown sugar. What I found, some brands that I found would be, you know, with the molasses, they'd be almost so wet that like the cake would be too dense. So it just opened my eyes to the fact that like every, like ingredients aren't necessarily like interchangeable. Um, right. And also like elevation, like there's so many factors. I know this only because, you know, I have trouble with consistent baking, even when I'm in like my same kitchen with all the same ingredients. But I would imagine that being on the other side of the world with everything being different is just a whole new ball game For sure. And then it's like hot. It's so hot. So then yeah. you're also like, you know, a lot of folks tend to like cook out, have kitchens, like cook outside a lot of times. So whether it's cooking outside or just like it just being very, very warm, it it was really, it was really challenging. But honestly, I think being able to like be proud of what I made, even like dis- despite all the challenges <laughs> um, in terms of getting um, the recipes together, you know, it it felt really good. Yeah. And also I think this idea of like terroir, I think we say a lot with wine, for example, um, or coffee, right, that it has that like specific taste of a place. But you working with all these local ingredients, even if the recipe isn't turning out in the exact way, like it's something you could only make there. Absolutely. And and I think it, it's helpful because like, you know, I have shared that I've started using calabash nutmeg. It's also called African nutmeg. Um, and it was kind of an accident because people there um, in Accra, I'm speaking about, tend to use that particular nutmeg for savory dishes like stews and things. And um, I used it in my baked goods. And it's ve- it's like it's very strong. Um but honestly, it has been a game changer. Whenever I have like f- people who like know food and that sort of thing, when they've had desserts that I've made with that particular nutmeg, they're like, there's something on my tongue, like a bite. You know, food mm-hmm. people, it's like this mm-hmm. bite on my tongue. And so um, it's really cool to be able to like, you know, know that I sourced that from a market who, a market woman who got it from a farmer and yeah, now it's like here in Brooklyn with me in my desserts. Like, that's really cool. I love that. And that's something that it would be very difficult for other people to mimic. It's giving you an edge. It's it's motivated me to do more exploration. You know, I also brought back a bunch of baobab powder and baobab, the baobab tree is like the tree of life in Africa, if anybody knows about that. And um, there's many, many things that are produced from the baobab tree, including baobab powder, which is like really rich in vitamin C, antioxidants. Um, and I've had it for the first time when I was in Senegal and um, a drink is made out of it for like upset stomach a lot. So I I, I was having a lot of that, like the baobab smoothies, mm-hmm. but then also had it in um, other other items. Like I've had baobab pudding and, you know, all these other like interesting things. So I brought some back and I've been working on trying to like stabilize whipped cream with baobab powder and to see how I could like add that to a dessert. Um, and yeah, just doing a lot of exploration and like playing. Yeah, I love that. I'm trying to think about if I've ever had baobab before, but I don't, what's the flavor like? It's hard because it, 
it doesn't have it doesn't have like the most distinctive taste, mm-hmm. but I think it pairs really well with like creamy. So like coconut, banana, whipped cream, um, whipped cream. Right. So, um, yeah, I went to a pop up yesterday, actually, um, by a Ghanaian American chef and she had a upside down plantain cake. So imagine like a pineapple upside down cake and then it had like a baobab glaze and it was so good. Wow. Um, and I tasted like some cashew in the in the in the glaze, I think. So yeah, I think like nuttiness goes well um with with baobab, I would say. That's so cool. I love the idea of a plantain upside down cake. It was so good. And funny enough, like when I talk a lot about trying to infuse ingredients from the diaspora, people often do like reference plantain. Plantain's very tricky. It's not like a banana, even though people might think it is. I made, I had a dessert last year that I, I wanted to like brulee plantains. It was so good in my mind. I was going to be like spiced plantains, bruleed, candied with like some ice cream on top, like mm. a little like peanut crumble situation. Yeah, no, did not work out. <laughs> Wait, what happened? <laughs> um, so plantains are tricky because they tend to harden um, when they sit out. And so it was really tough because it had, it just, it would be really, really good when it was like fresh out the oven and warm. But then when they would sit, it just kind of became like really starchy and not that good. And so I did everything from like trying to roast them, trying to, um, yeah, like, parboil them a little bit and then like brown it in the oven and then brulee. And so it just, frankly, that was one of, if you came to that pop-up, I'm sorry, because I think that was one of the desserts that I'm <laughs> I'm not the proudest of, but I got good feedback on it, but it just, it just wasn't there. But the point of me bringing this up is that that particular dessert has inspired me to try to play with plantain more. I like that. And I think it's an interesting point that there are some ingredients that when you say that you're doing African diasporic baking, that's the first thing that comes to mm-hmm. mind. But in actual practice, it's tricky to use because I think, um, yeah, I'm not a baker. I think plantains are like bananas. So it'd be simple and easy, but I'm sure it's not. Like in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe I can do like a play on banana pudding, but it's plant. And I'm like, no, you can't eat like a raw plantain. It's not, it's very starchy and it's just not good. Yeah. So um, yeah, so more more on the plantain infusions. It's being developed. <laughs> exactly. So in addition to like bringing back these ingredients and kind of developing the menu side, obviously that's like only one part of running your own business. And I know that you have like a business kind of more corporate background. So I'm curious how you approach like the actual structure of running, would you call it a micro bakery, like your own bakery as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I would call it a micro bakery. Um, it's very fun. I keep saying it's very funny when it's not funny. Um, I Coping mechanism. Have, right. <laughs> a lot of my, so just for like background, you know, I worked in urban planning and um, like real estate project, you know, management for seven years um, before I started my business. And so I do think a lot of the project management tools and just like way of working has been has been helpful but nothing about this is like traditional and like easy to predict and (laughs) so like I would say that like in terms of maybe making a plan you know it's 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 some of those like project management uh skills and savviness have been helpful but so much of this I'm learning as I'm going and I think I've 
the tools and skills that I've learned that have helped my business have been things that I've really learned, like, as I'm building my business, Um, whether that be from, like, other entrepreneurs or things that I'm reading or coming across online. But it's, it's, I can't compare this to anything I've done in, like, my corporate life. Right. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the predictability and then also the, yeah, it's working for your, doing, like, working for yourself, but then also adding, add on the Add in the the fact that you're producing something that people are going to consume. Um, it's just different. You know, it's like a different part of my brain's activated um, right. doing this. And it's been like three years since you started. It's been three years. Yeah. So I would say the first year. So October 2020 is when I had my first pop up. Mm. Um, and there, there I like popped up at like a neighborhood marketplace in Bed-Stuy. Um, did not have any intention of like selling cakes. But then from there, people were like writing me on Instagram like, oh, how can I get? And I was like, well, email me. Right. And then I was literally charging $50 for a cake because I just had no. (laughs) So talk about like the lack of business acumen, but also just like it was very much a a fun thing that I was doing. And so I'm not saying that I was I didn't want to make any money, but like I had a full time job. So it was like the money wasn't the like focus. Right. Um, And now it the money money's a little bit more important than it was before. Yeah. Something that I've spoken about previously on the show is this kind of like understanding or lack of understanding about how much things should cost, especially I think with baked things like cakes, for example, because there's so much labor and ingredients that goes into them. But then from the consumer side, you don't really think of it in that way. And so spending, I don't know, $250 on a cake seems like a steep price when in reality, like that can actually be undercharging for somebody. Um, So I'm curious, like over time, like how have you thought about uh, value in the business and how you like communicate that to people? Eliza, these are all like the hardest. These are things that I'm like really struggling with in real time. I mean, in general, I have found that confidence around pricing is just something that a lot of people struggle with. Mm -hmm. You know, I think to your point, this idea, uh, especially now of being like, hey, pay me $240 for a a cake might seem like crazy to some people. But then I like to share with folks that, you know, what I'm, because it is a micro bakery, you know, there aren't like a case, a, a case full of cakes that you can, you know, pick from every day. I'm making, if Eliza, you write me for a cake on Friday, um, well, please don't because that's way too quick of a turnaround. But if you write me for a cake, you know, I'm going out and I'm, you know, purchasing the ingredients that I need to, like, make that cake for you. And I'm I'm not, like, pulling some frozen cake layers that have been in the freezer all month. Like, everything is fresh. If there's, like, blueberry lavender jam, your girl's making the blueberry lavender jam. Like, and you're getting the blueberries. And, and, the I'm getting, and I'm getting the blueberries and the lavender. And, you know, I really, really believe in just, like— quality um, in terms of just the ingredients and things that you're using. So like I almost exclusively use diasporico spices. I love them, especially the cardamom. You know, it's not cheap. And so I think I have to, I've had to reconcile with that a little bit just around like really wanting to have my cakes enjoyed by many people, especially there's there's also another like thing that I struggle with where a lot of my audience is it's pretty split, you know, in terms of just like young other, you know, young folks and, um, 
you know, moms and creatives. And so I, I like to, th- I, I, as much as it's like everyone wants to be a luxury girl now, I still do like the idea of my stuff being kind of accessible. And so I've been toying with that. So I've been going back and forth about, okay, the cakes are at this price point, but then when I have pop-ups, the cakes can be at this price point. So that's something. And then like on a deeper level, the other thing that I've been reconciling is just like my role in this like kind of the service role as a black woman and the importance of, you know, charging and putting value on on my work and expecting to be, you know, compensated fairly. Because I do, you know, it run you you see the cake world. Like it runs a gamut in terms of um the price points and the types of cake and things. And so I've had to kind of really be like confident in in, you know, the price is the price. Um sometimes I do, I'm not gonna lie, like I'll, you know, Exactly. I'll cut a deal or, you know, if someone has come to me like there's a um, a family, I've made their daughter's cake for three years now. And so I'm like, you know, that's so special. Yeah, it's so special. You know, and like I'm not going to go from like so so it's complicated. But I think that like in terms of my own um, worth and valuing as an as an entrepreneur, I've been really, really, really working on trying to just like feel confident in my pricing. I love hearing that from people in general, especially from you. I'm such a fan of what you do. And I think going off of this idea of how big the cake scene is in New York right now, I think that is true. And there's so many different people that someone can go to if they want to order a cake. So if they want to get one from you, there's reason behind that. And your pricing can reflect that as well. What really also helped me was just being clear on what the cost of making a cake is. And that's something that a lot of folks, I think, stay away from, like just like the cost stuff. And that was me for a very long time. But then when I actually got on paper and I said, and I saw that, okay, it takes blah, blah, blah to make this carrot cake. And I'm charging $50. That doesn't make any sense, you know? Um, And also sometimes, I'm not going to lie, I do go on some of the like more higher end girlies Instagram or their their websites and I'm like no I can I can I can charge I you know I can charge this and so um yeah it's really it's it's like it's been helpful to kind of do the comparison and feeling like no I'm in the, I'm in the right spot yeah exactly I'm curious if you feel like you have um camaraderie in the cake community is there like solidarity among like other cake bakers I feel like there's it's interesting because there's such a like a there's so much momentum around it, but at the same time, a lot of people don't have the structure of a restaurant that they're attached to where they have steady income coming from or like a set client base in that way. Yes, to all of that. I think for me, um, some of the best people that I've met have been like other bakers. I like sing the praises of Nicole Penza um, from By Penza just because she's someone who and it's funny to think about her as being like an OG who's like she's done this for five years. Um, but some, you know, five years compared to a lot of some other folks who are coming on the scene. It's like I've been I started in the pandemic like myself or a year ago or whatever it may be. And so um, I've really I've really made some really, really great like connections and relationships and have learned so much from people from like other bakers, honestly, whether it's um, I've had other other bakers help me out at events. And like I did an event for Cherry Bomb. I did their big Jubilee conference last year and Mm -hmm. I had to have 400 samples and I had never made more than like a nine inch cake. So <laughs> I'm shocked right now. And is a sample a slice of cake or is it a mini cake? It's it's a it's like a sm- it's smaller than a 
it was basically like um, a single, like a sheet. I did a, did a bunch of sheet cakes and like cut them into triangles. Smart. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's still, it was still, that was a lot of sheet cakes. And so I had, oh, a, <laughs> that's so many sheet cakes. <laughs> and so I had an, a friend who I, you know, Guadalupe, who I met from like the internet cake scene. She came and like, helped and I was my first time working out of a commercial kitchen also and so like never had used a Hobart never had like you know made that large of a batch and it was if I didn't have and I I baked actually out of Nicole um Nikki's studio so I had both her and Guadalupe to really like support me in executing um that event so yeah the camaraderie is great I mean you know honestly I feel like this is a safe space. There are some people that I hate on, like, (laughs) and it's not personal. You know what I mean? Like, I've met many of them in person and they're lovely. But I think what it is, is like, especially with social media and so much of, you know, um, I would say like this, I wouldn't say it's like overly saturated, but like there's, it's like the moment. There's like a cake moment. And so you can't help but feel whenever there are these like particular events or there's like a celebrity opportunity and like your cake is not the cake. It's like, well, why wasn't mine? You know, you do the comparison. And so as much as I really do love to learn from um, other cake folks and I've built a lot of really strong relationships, I, I mute. <laughs> I mute as we should as for mental health, you know, <laughs> because I will start like you know there was like someone who made a cake for like Harry Styles and it was like no no shade right but I was just like ugh. like I just I, I became obsessed with why like I'm not making cakes for celebrities and like what my cakes are. and I don't want it I don't want that like that energy so yeah. you know I'm really glad you mentioned Instagram because I think it is such a I don't, double-edged sword maybe isn't even the right word for it but it it's how you met these internet cake friends that you're talking about it's how I found you for my friend's birthday party a couple of years ago. That's how we met. Um, and at the same time, it can create this weird like echo chamber where uh, there's trend cycles of like, oh, messy cakes are in right now. And oh, actually, it's a different kind of cake style when really all of these things are happening at the same time. And it's just that attention is shifting between them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, so for for me, when I when I can't take on a commission, um, if folks ask me for recommendations. I just have like a running list of folks that I see on Instagram and I'll just like send them out because I do realize that, you know, the cake, as much as the cake scene, it's like a scene right now, there, there's so many different types of cakes, you know, I think the, you know, if you want the fresh flower stuff from me, if you want, someone asked me to make a Minions cake recently. I don't do character cakes, but like there are people who do that stuff. There are people who do the, what's that like, that style with the almost like classic um, old. Oh, the very like retro. Yeah. I don't know the right name for it, but like, bodega cakes maybe is a right. great example of that. Right. Very like Saint 80s Street, wedding cake. Saint Street cakes. Like, so there's, so I, I, I really do feel like there's enough room for everyone, you know, because whenever I talk to people, other bakers, they're like turning orders down. So like there's, there's enough, truly there's enough room at the cake table for us all. Coming together. I can't believe someone would ask you to make a minion cake. A minion cake. And I wanted to be like, have you ever, like, have you seen a mi- anything resembling a minion on my page before? But, you know, I appreciated the, like, that they thought about me. But I was like, no, I don't yeah, know cakes. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, like, outside of cake, I'm curious, um, when you're, like, going out to eat in New York, uh, where do you like to get dessert? It can be a cake answer. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, and it's not just, like, solidaire. I love the pop-up, the pop-up folks. Like, I truly, and I, like, I know it's not cake but I could eat Kate's key lime pie like for every meal it's delicious 
Cake Scene just did a collab with her. Um, yes. An Atlantic Beach Pie, which was so much fun. And I was actually devastated that it was one of those things where I was like, okay, do not, you don't need to order a whole pie for yourself. And then like, by the time I had plans, I went online and you guys weren't doing the sale anymore. Oh, I have amazing news for you. It's going to be at the launch party, the Cake Scene launch party. Um, I love, like to the point that I she lives next to me and I have, I'm not going to lie, I have messaged her on some occasions to be like, hey, do you have any extras? So I love, I love key lime pie. Um, you should be doing a swap, like your cake scraps for the pie scraps. I should. There are no scraps in a pie, <laughs> but no, no, right, just we can forget pies. about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love, I love pop-up stuff. I mean, I'm... I'm very basic. Like, before I started doing all of this, I was the person who, like, my family lives in Massachusetts, so if I was hopping on the Amtrak, I would go and buy a slice of cake from, like, Magnolia Bakery. Like, just a classic, like, confetti or, like, I love, like, vanilla birthday cake. Cake? Yeah, I mean, I, I will always get tiramisu. And, like, if it's on the menu, I'm trying the tiramisu. Um, but I'm I'm pretty open. Like, I will say that when I go out to eat, I am always a, like, I want to hear the dessert specials person. And so, it you know, I'm, like, I'm open. I'm always open to trying something. I like that. I feel like there's so many, like, what's the point of living in a city like New York if you're not going to try to eat all the different things and Ex- see what you like the most? Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, you're saying you're you're big on the pop-ups. Like, what about pop-ups is so interesting to you? So the pop-ups, I think, I mean, obviously it's like a solidarity thing, just like in terms, you know, from one pop-up, pop-upper to another. Right. Um, But really, I think it's just, it's just so exciting. And again, like I referenced with just being in Accra or other just, you know, my family's from Massachusetts and you're not going to find on a Saturday, like people pop it like this. It's just very unique to New New York. Um, And so I think it's just like the best way to like go out there and try new foods. Um, I think the other thing is that I really love like supporting people that I'm friends with on social media. So it's always nice to like get to meet people in real life. So it's also like a social thing too, because the reality is like, you know, on the weekends I'm busy baking and, you know, I don't get up, I don't get up to eat as much as I would like to. Um, and so when I do, it's like I look forward to, you know, I love looking at the, looking at, you know, the redoras and the honeys and, you know, seeing what they have going on and just like going out and, 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 and trying whatever these chefs come up with. And I think the other piece about pop-ups that's really great is like, like knowing what goes into a pop-up, I think, like the planning and the execution and everything, like it just makes it, I'm so much more appreciative of, like, the meal, you mm-hmm. know, because um, you probably had to rent a kitchen. You probably had, like, your partner or your neighbor, like, you know, like, putting the gas grill in the whatever. You know, it's just, I don't know, just knowing all that it takes to get there just makes me, like, really proud to be part of the culinary scene. So I think I go because it's also, like, just, it's a real, what's the word, like, morale booster almost because that's the same space that I'm in. Yeah, I think so. I think something that Emma Orlo and I were talking about when she came on the podcast to talk about in part her pop-up column at Eater is the fact that it can be really solitary, right? If you are not working in a restaurant day in, day out, you're doing your own thing, you have people that are supporting you online or maybe they're ordering from you and doing pickup, but having like a in-person pop-up is an opportunity to actually connect with people and have kind of a manifestation of this community that you're trying to grow or be a part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I tell the story all the time about um, there's a couple that I met through my pop-ups um, and we became friendly because I believe the um, husband, his wife sent her out, sent him out to get cake 
from me. And the he was like behind someone who's like got the last piece of cake. And we just had this moment when he was like, oh, my wife's going to kill me. Like, she told me to come straight here. And, like, they come to every pop-up, every event. And so, like, that sort of, I keep saying community building. But, yeah, it's, like, it's really, really, really great. They're your regulars. Yeah. Yeah, my regulars. I love I that. Love that. <laughs> so before you go, I want to ask you a fun question, which is if you could have any menu item named after yourself, so not just cake, but like a sandwich shop, a bar, ice cream, whatever. What would it be and what would be in it? It's hard because I don't want to be like brown sugar or something corny like that. It's just, <laughs> it's just I, like, I just really love like anything brown butter, caramelly, like that's sort of, that's like my jam. And then, you know what I really love? I really love, um, I think there was a debate about this online, like that sugar cookies and chocolate chip like the cookie dough part of the of the chocolate chip that yes. they're different yes and but i really lo- like i love chocolate chip cookies with like few chips and so i think i would be like the brown butter like the ice cream right with like a cookie you know some sort of cookie infusion without the chips what what do you call those kind of cookies not not chocolate chip but like the- a sugar cookie but not sugar. You know what I mean? Like chocolate chip cookies without the chocolate chip. I feel like chips. I missed this online debate. Clearly, I'm not yeah, deep enough there into the cake scene. Clear, clearly, I need to get off Instagram. But it was like this. There was this whole thing about the fact that sugar cookies are not the same as a chocolate chip cookie without the chips. Like, you know, some people like chocolate chip cookies without the chips. I've never I'm one of in those... my life heard of this before, <laughs> but I'm into it as a concept. A chocolate chipless I, cookie. Okay. So, so okay. So I, I think we're getting somewhere. So I, it would be something to do with like a chocolate chipless cookie, brown butter. Um, there'd be some salted caramel. Am I an ice cream sandwich? Am I naming myself after an ice cream sandwich? We're inventing an ice cream sandwich right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that could be really. Ooh, and you know, on the on the edges of the ice cream sandwich, what are those pieces when you get like a from the ice cream truck, like the chocolate eclairs with the little crispy, crunchy? Oh, yeah. Imagine that on the edge, like just like it's rolled in that after. You know, it's like the cookie, but it's rolled in that little eclair crunch. I think we found the star of your next pop up this summer. <laughs> I think so. Funny, I have one of my pandemic purchases was an ice cream maker. Um, it is still in the box because one of the things that I thought about was like, well, I'm going to also release this line of like ice creams inspired by the African diaspora. Never opened the box, never made ice cream, but more will be revealed on that. More this summer, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Well, if you make it, I will come and eat it. (laughs) We need a name for it, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, it's it's the Janae. That's what it's named after. Mm, The Janae. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. This was great. This is Taste is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Eliza Abarbanel. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things happening.